This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Let's take a moment to open our hearts to the Lord and our ears to hear what His Spirit has to say. When, when the Word of God came to John the Beloved in the book of Revelation, as he wrote letters to each of the churches, the same statement you see through each and every letter that was written to the church, and that was, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. There are a lot of voices that are speaking but the one voice that really matters is the voice of the Spirit of God. And my prayer this morning is, is that whatever I say will be in line with the voice of the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Otherwise, it's just a waste of words. So would you join with me as we open our hearts and our minds to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us today. Lord God, you are welcome to guide and direct this message. For what good would it be for us to simply hear a word a word that would come from the intellect alone. God, we desperately need to hear a word from you today because your word is what breathes life into our lives, our marriages, our families, our jobs. And Lord, we ask that you would take your word and that you would bring it to life so that we would not only hear it, but that we would understand it so we can put it to practice. Lord, we ask this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Each week I pray and I ask the Lord what to share with you because I believe that God has a specific word for us every single time we get together. I believe that every single time we gather in this place, it is a divine appointment. It is not an opportunity for me to showcase anything to you, because if God isn't speaking, then what good is it? So my heart's desire this morning is, is that you will hear a word from the Lord today. And what God put in my heart throughout this week is simply what I'm going to share with you from His Word. Many of you are aware of the story of David when he defeated the giant. Uh, most of us are aware of how David took on the giant and he killed him. And because he killed him, the entire nation was set free from the tyranny of the Philistines. That's the short summary of it. But as with any amazing feat, there's a lot more to the story. And so I want to talk to you about that today because I believe that there are areas in our lives where we still need to gain victory, and God wants us to gain victory. So we're going to start with a couple things. First of all, Goliath was not the first enemy that David faced. For those of you who know David's story, he was simply a shepherd caring for sheep, and in defense of the sheep, there were some predators that came and David said, no way, you're not going to have access to this flock of sheep. And so, when the lion showed up to try to kill 
the sheep, David said, I am not allowing that to happen. And God allowed him to defeat the lion. At another occasion, there was a bear that showed up. And David said, you are not taking one of these sheep either. I'm taking you out in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. So now, when Goliath is standing there, taunting all the soldiers of Israel and saying, why don't you choose a man to come fight me, mocking God's people, and here comes uh, the little errand boy, David, who's simply bringing food to his big brothers, the soldiers who are there to defend and to fight against these great enemies. He overhears what's going on. He says, what's, what's happening over there? So, well, that guy there, he's a big guy. He's been taunting us for a long time, telling us that we need to bring a, a guy to match his strength, match his skill. And uh, depending on whether, uh, whether we win that battle or they win that battle, that's going to affect the entire, the, the entire war. And David said, wait, you mean that he is knocking our God and you guys are just standing there watching that? And his brother said, what are you doing here? Uh, did your dad send you up here to just bring us some food? Why don't you go back home? And, uh, but David, his heart wasn't set on trying to impress people. But he was deeply affected by the inept response to the challenge to God's people. And so he says, I'll take him on. He said, you're kidding. So he goes and speaks to the king. And the king says, all right, well, I'll give you my armor. And you can go out there and do your best. And uh, he said, no, sir, I'm sorry. I can't wear your armor. It doesn't fit me. Not my size. Now, the first thing that I want to make a note of is, is that when you're fighting your battle, you need your own armor. You try to borrow someone else's, it won't fit you. You know, you can watch great movies like The War Room and you can get all psyched up about spiritual warfare. And you can leave and you can go, man, I'm going to put that piece of armor on from somebody else, but it won't fit you. You have to get in your own prayer closet, and you've got to seek the Lord. The benefit to those types of things, whether it's a good movie or a good book, should encourage you to seek the Lord. You don't need to copy what someone else does to simply try to do it exactly that person's way, but what you do need to do is seek the Lord. And David he puts on the arm, it doesn't fit. He says, no, 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 this isn't going to work. When I defeated the bear, I wasn't wearing this. When I defeated the lion, it's, this was not something that I needed. I know that my God will defend me. And so he takes what he was used to. He became very skilled at it. His sling and his stones. He runs towards the enemy. And he takes his stone, puts it in the sling, and he runs at Goliath and ends up destroying him. Well, the bear was a big challenge. The lion was a great challenge. And we often think about Goliath being probably one of the greatest challenges that he faced. But I want to propose to you today 
that there was even a greater enemy than Goliath had to take on. And I believe that many of us in this room deal with this type of an enemy. And sometimes it gets a bit confusing as to how to battle this enemy. But it's not an easy enemy to take out. You see, with the lion and the bear and Goliath, it was a short-term battle. I mean, it was very amazing. It was pretty phenomenal. And it makes for really cool storytelling. But this next enemy was so long and drawn out and such a challenge that you can almost lose heart in the midst of the battle. And this is where I believe God wants to speak a word of encouragement and challenge to each one of us today. The enemy that David ended up facing was someone who actually would be used by God to bring him into the position where he would serve as a shepherd to the people of Israel. Now, the Bible tells us, if you would turn with me, please, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 18. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is the chapter right after he defeats Goliath. And uh, Saul was really impressed with what David did. And uh, right there from verse 2 in chapter 18, it says, From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. While Saul's son, Jonathan, was good friends with David, in fact, they made a covenant together of their friendship. And then it says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander, verse 5, over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Now, what's interesting is that David, he had served the Lord. He had played uh, worship songs on his harp out in the middle of nowhere. There was no audience when he was done playing uh, his, his, uh, his instrument. There would be no great applause of people going, Woohoo, David, great job, great job. He was there worshiping the Lord and was not seeking the applause nor the approval of men. And the Word of God tells us that when we humble ourselves before Him, God is the one who exalts us. And that's exactly what God had in mind and, in fact, did do with David. God ended up using Saul to bring David right into uh, the leadership level there. And it was Saul that welcomed David. And as David was given responsibilities, everything he did, he did with success because God was with him. God was the one that was giving David his successes. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the Philistine rather, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. And it would have been fine if it stopped there. 
Saul would have been quite proud of that. But that was not the end of the song. The song continued. And David has killed his ten thousands. And no doubt Saul had to do a second take. Oh, wait a minute, did you just add a 10 in there? And Saul was taken back by all of the people who were joining together to acknowledge that David's successes were greater than Saul's successes. Verse 8 says, Saul became very angry. He said, what's this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. What's interesting is, little did Saul know that David indeed would succeed Saul as king. So I want you to pay close attention here at the unfolding of these events. I'm going to pause there for a moment, and I want you to switch back to chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now, this was the beginning of Saul serving as king of Israel. It says, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler of over Israel, his special possession. This was initiated by God. Move over now to verse 24. And it says, Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen. Take special note of that. This is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Now, let's go to chapter 12, verse 13. Now it says, all right, here is the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, notice the last verse we read, it said, the Lord has chosen your king. And now what does it say here? It says, here is the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, God had spoken to the people through Samuel, and he had told them that they were doing a very, a very wrong thing because what they were doing was they were rejecting the leadership God had for them, and they wanted a king like all the other nations. And so through Samuel, God said, basically gave them a warning. In verse 17, we see how the prophet Samuel said, you know that if it does not rain at this time of the year during the wheat harvest, I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So this was, this was something that God was very displeased with, but nevertheless, God chose Saul. And in fact, the people chose Saul, and they were very pleased with what they had chosen. 
but God said this is not going to end well. There are times where God gives us what we ask for, even though it is not the best for us. So be careful that you pray in accordance with God's will and not your own. If you beg God long enough, he may just give you exactly what you're asking for, and you may not end up liking it. That's why it's so critical when Jesus was in the garden and he prayed and he said, not my will, but yours be done. So God gave David success. Now let's go back to chapter 18. And oh, actually, just before that, let's go to chapter 14 for a minute. I want to highlight for you uh, that in the beginning, when Saul started he started well. Uh, chapter 14, verse 47, look at what it says. It says here, Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. He performed great deeds and conquered the Amalekites, saving Israel from all those who had plundered them. David, or Saul rather, in this uh, particular instance, was victorious and enjoyed great success. But there came a time when Saul began to do his own thing. And it kind of culminated in the situation where God had told him that he was to destroy the Amalekites and he was not to bring back the spoil. But rather, the first fruits was really intended for God and and and. Part of the whole process here in chapter 15 uh, that God expected was because God said that everything that was first, everything that was best belonged to him. Future battles, the Israelites would be able to keep the spoils, the plunder, and they would be able to separate it between themselves, divide it up between the soldiers. That was fine, no problem. But of this particular battle, God said, don't keep anything. Every single thing is to be destroyed. It's mine. It's as if it were a burnt offering unto the Lord. God said, this is mine. Don't touch it. Don't save anything. Don't keep anything. It's all mine. And, of course, Saul, he did not listen to the voice of the Lord. And so we see from verse 10 of chapter 15 on, God says in verse 10, I am very sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel, the prophet who anointed him, was so deeply moved that he cried out to the Lord all night. And early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. And, and the story goes on, and he begins uh, to communicate to him. Verse 23, a scripture you may be familiar with, but it's particularly tied into what Saul did. It says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord... He has rejected you as king. And from this point on, things really go south for Saul. God is preparing David in the wings. And then we fast forward to chapter 18, which we've already talked about here. David defeats Goliath, and then David is welcomed into a military service, and with all of the responsibilities that he's given, he continues to grow in his success. Verse 5, we see that he was promoted, 
that David uh, added, or pardon me, Saul added responsibilities to him because of his victories. And it was an odd combination because uh, Saul was using David to make himself look good, but whenever he used David to make himself look good, it made David look good. And he's like, this isn't working. Of course, everybody was already very pleased with David, and so Saul was quite stuck. So then we see in verse 6, we uh, look at that David was praised, he was affirmed, he was highly praised. I mean, everybody's singing his praises in, in these parades. And uh, I want to just take a note to in Proverbs chapter 27, uh, 21. This is a very important thing for all of us to remember. It says these words, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. A person is tested by being praised. You have someone heap accolades on you. How you respond determines your character. If you let it get to your head and you soak it all in, that's your character. If you turn the attention to the Lord and if you keep on doing what God's called you to do, then you remain humble and God gets the glory. And so... David experienced success. He experienced promotion. He experienced the praise and affirmation of the people. And because of all that, Saul ended up coming to a point we see here in verse 8 that Saul got very angry and he got very jealous. And verse 9 says, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And now remember, God had appointed Saul. God had chosen Saul. It was Samuel that was used by God to anoint Saul as king. This was all godly stuff going on. God was in the midst of everything that was happening, but yet God was also taking into account that the people of Israel, their heart had turned away from God. Which, was, which had its effect not only on the nation, but on the leadership. And so Saul, in many ways, was a reflection of the heart of the nation. Saul's heart began to turn after things that did not matter, things that were simply temporary. And then whenever you kick God out, you leave an empty space. Whenever you kick God out of anything, you leave an empty space, and that empty space is a vacuum. And what happens when you get close to a vacuum? You get sucked in. The door remains open. And the enemy was just waiting for the opportunity. God was kicked out, and the enemy says, I'll take care of that void right away. And he steps right in. And look at this sad turn of events for a man who was anointed by God, commissioned by him for a wonderful task of leading his precious people. Verse 10, the very next day, a tormenting spirit. Other versions say an evil spirit. From God overwhelmed Saul. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. Another version says he began to prophesy in his house like a madman. 
Quite interesting, isn't it? This was a man who knew what it was like to walk in the Spirit of God. Now, once you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, you can never be the same. You can't. You see, for a person whose eyes are blind spiritually and they have never seen yet, they are at a whole different level of responsibility than someone whose eyes have been opened. Because once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you go back on Him, there is a different level of consequence because of our level of knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that with our heart, we can't come back to the Lord and truly repent. God makes room for that. Absolutely. But it's harder. And the consequences are greater. And the road you have to walk down can be very difficult. Saul had a tormenting spirit from God overwhelm him. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. And then it says, David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. This began an unfolding of events of a murderous spirit in the heart of Saul. A man who was commissioned by God to bring peace and prosperity to the nation of his people ends up from the root of his own heart desiring to kill, to destroy a man who was after God's own heart. You see the turn of events here? This jealousy brought him to a point where he couldn't stand David. Why? Because David now was having successes like he had at the beginning. David was now experiencing the blessing and the favor of God like Saul was experiencing at the beginning. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that God desired and his heart's passion was that Saul would walk under his grace and mercy and favor. From the very beginning, God desired Saul to fear him and to honor him. In fact, if you go back and read that portion of Scripture, there was very specific instruction given that if Saul would have feared him and honored him, the blessings of the Lord would have followed him, but that's not what he did. And so because of that, he ended up getting a murderous spirit in his heart. And then we see that he desired in his heart to see David taken out of the picture. Verse 17, or verse 14, rather, we see David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. That was the source of his success. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops in the battle. So Saul's in this really difficult situation. His flesh inside of him is getting the best of him because he's not walking according to the Spirit of God. His passion is for the things that will please him. And it's leading him down a road to destruction. And so this murderous spirit enters his heart, and really what ended up happening is, is he became an enemy of David. And as he functions in his kingdom, his main drive becomes kill David. 
His main drive becomes take David out of the picture. In fact, so much so that later on we'll see that he ended up taking his army, his, his, uh, his soldiers, to go and focus simply on taking David out. Ignoring his responsibilities as king to try to do what displeased the Lord. We see in verse 11 that Saul threw his spear at David. He David avoided him, escaped him twice. Verse 17, we see that Saul saw uh, that uh, his daughter was in love with David, and so he began to use it as an opportunity to be able to see if David would be destroyed. In fact, uh, he, he initially said that he wanted to give his older daughter, Mirab, to him as his wife, and he said, uh, why don't you go out and prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles? Because Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. So he had murder in his heart, and his desire was to see that David would be killed. In fact, as he goes out, he ends up winning that battle, and God gave him victory once again. And... Uh, and then verse 21, Saul comes back to David and says, Oh, I know my other daughter, Michael, has fallen in love with you, and so I'll give her to you. Uh, but you have to prove yourself as my son-in-law. Uh, the king really likes you, he says in verse 22. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? And uh, here, All you have to do, all you have to do is kill 100 Philistines. And as proof, bring back their foreskins, and I will reward you with my daughter as your wife. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. You see, a murderous spirit was driving him. David was delighted to accept the offer, and so he ended up doing exactly what was asked of him, and Saul gave his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. Over and over, Saul sought to kill David. Verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the field. And so he goes on to explain that he would alert David if indeed Saul was certainly out to kill him. And it says, verse 9, one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit came from the Lord suddenly upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Verse 11, then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, his wife, warned him and said, go. And so he, he, he went and she put this uh, idol under the bed with some goat hair to make it look like him. The troops came to arrest David and she said, no, he's sick right now. He can't get out of bed, sorry. And uh, Saul sent the troops back to get David. He said, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out of his very bed, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. 
and then says to his daughter, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? My enemy. How did David become Saul's enemy? David did not do anything to Saul. In fact, we'll find out later that David, in spite of being hunted down so many times and in so many ways, God put Saul's life right in David's grasp. He was sleeping in a cave. He went down into the cave, and he could have killed Saul. But instead of doing that, he took a piece of his clothing and cut it off and walked out and went on the hill nearby. And he said, Saul, see, your life was in my hands. But I will not adopt a murderous spirit like you. The battle that waged between Saul and David was a one-sided battle because David was not seeking to kill Saul, but Saul was seeking to kill David. The enemy that became David's in Saul, I believe, was a greater and more challenging enemy than Goliath himself. Because he was in the inner circle. Friends, you can face great challenges when you know that the enemy is clear-cut. They defy God. They do not honor him. They are clearly pronounced as your enemy. There's nothing that is, you might say, redeemable about them because they're full throttle against you, against God. But what becomes difficult is when someone who has been your friend, someone who has walked with your God in his power, turns to walk on the road to destruction and ends up adopting a murderous spirit, it is a great challenge to every single one of us. The enemy loves to destroy from within because if he can divide you, your family, if he can divide in your own close circle of family and friends, he can conquer. But God's heart is that you will be able to overcome. To the very end, David refused to speak ill of Saul or to seek to kill him. In fact, when Saul was finally killed, you might think that David would have said, a sigh of relief, that's over. But I think often of the words that, Saul, that David said. He said, may it not be published in the news. May no one speak about it. For a mighty warrior has fallen. David honored Saul because God had appointed him to his position in the first place. Some of you may find yourself in a very awkward situation. The enemy that you're fighting is not someone you can take your stone and sling out and go, I take you out in the name of the Lord. 
It's not that easy when our enemy is within our own house. And this is where the Spirit of God has to give you everything you need to live daily in victory for His glory. I'm amazed that when Jesus went into the mountain to pray and He asked His Father, Father, who exactly shall I select for the 12 that I will entrust ministry to? That I will spend three years investing in, in who shall I choose? And of those 12, one of them would be the very man that would betray him. God knew the plan. But I wonder what battles were fought in the spiritual realm as Jesus the Messiah went about his daily life knowing that the very one that he was living life with would end up being the primary reason why his life would be taken. He would be betrayed by his own friend. That's an enemy that's hard to deal with because you can't take your enemy out like that. And what does the word of God tell us? Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Ouch! But, but David did that with Saul. Here's the key. Whenever you and I are facing enemies within, they could be your children. They could be your parents. They could be your spouse. They could be your sibling. It doesn't matter. In the middle of that battle, remember that the one who gives you victory is with you. And God is the one responsible for dealing with the person that God has said to you, don't touch that person. Don't speak a word against them. Do not attempt to, to try to destroy them. You let them be. You pray for them. I will deal with them. There are some people in your lives today that are causing you a lot of pain. And they're not an enemy that you can throw a stone at and get rid of them like Goliath. They are not a lion that you can simply rip them apart and take them out of the picture and they're done. Or a bear. But they may be an enemy like Saul. A constant agitation in your spirit. David had to run for his life for a good period of his time. But rather than repay evil for evil, he repaid evil with good. And this is where it gets tough, friends. When you are mistreated by someone in your own household, pray for them. Love them. Allow God to deal with that person because he will. He will. Remember that God sees everything. God hears everything. Sometimes the pain we go through seems so intense, but you need to turn it over to the Lord because he knows best how to deal with people. After all, he knows how to deal with you, doesn't he? 
And I oftentimes think about this personally. Whenever I feel some kind of challenge from an enemy from within, this is what the Lord has reminded me of. The same grace and the same mercy that God showed me. That same grace and mercy is available to my enemy. And that's hard to swallow. You know, because in our flesh, we want them to be out of the picture. No more pain. No more struggle. But you also need to remember this, that God is using that to mold your character. He is preparing you for what he wants you to do. Soldiers have to go through basic training. Basic training isn't fun. It's not easy. And in fact, the higher levels that you get into uh, of, of expectation that you're going to have to deal with, uh, you have more difficult training inside the group of fellow soldiers so that when you get into the battlefield, you'll be prepared to fight the real enemy. And I, I think sometimes that it can be a lot more difficult to deal with enemies from within. And God can use that to prepare us so that we are strong in spirit, so that when it comes to dealing with enemies that are without, we'll be able to stand firm and not waver for the glory of God. And every single one of you in this place, you know very well the things that eat at your spirit, that can bother you, and that sometimes you can come to church with a smile on your face, you can go home to the same household, and you can feel like the Spirit of God is being sucked out of you. I want you to know that God has made you a promise that He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. And when you are in the midst of a fight, when you're not dealing with a bear, you're not dealing with a lion, you're not dealing with a Goliath, but you're standing in front of someone who is supposed to be your friend, someone who is supposed to be your confidant, someone who's supposed to have your back, but they don't. Always remember that even when someone who should have your back doesn't, God does. He will defend you. And often I think about how David, when he wrote these beautiful psalms, he wrote them in situations where God was his defense. Where he wouldn't dare take a spear and throw it back at Saul. But he said, and you read it over, when you read the psalms, think about it. How often he talks about his enemies. My enemies seek to take my life but I entrust my life to you, O oh God. Oh, they may not be Philistine running, Philistines running around to try to kill you, but at times, your life, your very spirit can be on the line because the enemy is going to try to suck the life of God out of you. But as you remain steadfast in trusting the Lord, God will give you victory. The Word of God says that vengeance is His. Let God take care of it. Saul would go so far as to even consulting a witch. Tried to summon Samuel back to the scene so that he could get some closure in situations. And even when Samuel showed up, he said, the Lord has left you. The kingdom has been taken from your hand.
and given to David. Shortly thereafter, Saul would, his life would be taken. Friend, you and I must remember that any success we have comes from him. When you try to hold on to something by stepping on someone else, you're doing yourself no favors. Because for a short time, you may actually get the upper hand, at least in your eyes. But it won't last for long. Because God will see to it that the tables are turned. So in all that you do, fear the Lord. Don't try to underhandedly get back at the person who's hurting you. Now, there's nothing wrong with speaking honestly with the person. There's nothing wrong with being open and saying, you know what? This is wrong. I'm very hurt by this by all means. But I'm talking about situations that you cannot fix or control. You trying to somehow jab that person in a way that's going to really get them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let the Lord take care of it. You know why? Because God will bless you in the process. If you do it yourself, you're going to bring a curse upon yourself. Don't do it. Let the Lord work it out. Be patient. And let God develop in you stamina so that you will be able to truly win the greater battle than even taking a Goliath out with a stone. You'll be able to win victory over the enemy who would like to steal the control of your heart. And that is a greater battle that you and I must gain victory in. I am so encouraged by the life of David. He, he made some terrible mistakes. In fact, they weren't just mistakes. They were flat-out sin. They were wrong. They were, it, God was greatly displeased with some of the things David but David came back with repentance. He confessed his sin, and God forgave him. And God said of David, he is a man after my own heart. Some of you may have had victories in the past of situations that you saw an enemy that needed to be taken out. God gave you the weaponry to do it. You took care of it. It's all done. But maybe you're facing a battle that is in-house. And you're simply praying to God for help, for stamina, for perspective. God wants to provide that for you because he wants you to overcome in the name of Jesus. And so I just want to challenge you today. Don't take it into your own hands because you're not strong enough. You're not able enough. Only he is. He is perfectly able and capable of handling the situation. And know this, God will administer grace. And he will administer mercy, but he will also administer justice. And the scripture says that it is a fearful thing for us to fall into the hands of a living God. And as much as I am so grateful for what Jesus did for me, paid for all of my sins on the cross, I also recognize that God is a holy God. And he desires for me to hate sin and to love what is right and what pleases him. And so in, in accepting the wonderful work of the cross, I must also develop a hatred for what put him on that cross. It's very important for all of us to remember and not walk uh, willy-nilly in our walk with the Lord. For us to truly appreciate what Jesus did, we have to learn to hate the things that put him on that cross. So I want to encourage you that in your battle, you might, you might think that you're fighting against someone, 
But your battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against principalities and powers of darkness in spiritual places. And you may not realize it, but the person who is your enemy is allowing the spirit of the enemy to use them to oppose you. Oh, they may not have horns and a tail, but they have kicked God out. And when God kicks, gets kicked out, a vacuum happens and the spirit of the enemy comes in. And by their words and by their actions, they become your enemy, seeking to divide and destroy. But just as God gave David victory, God protected David. And God ultimately brought him to the throne to rule in the very location or the very position that Saul was in. Why? Because David humbled himself and said, God, I leave it in your hands. This morning, God knows the battle you're fighting, and he will help you. He will strengthen you, and he'll help you to overcome. I'm going to ask if we could all close ourselves in with the Lord. And before, uh, before I go any further, I want to uh, make an appeal to every person in this place. If you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, what that means is simply that you have accepted that He paid for your sins on the cross. The Bible says that with our mouth we confess and with our heart we believe. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's very simple. Jesus paid the price for your sin. If you're willing to accept it, your sins can be washed away. You can leave this place today with no shame, no guilt, and with your spirit completely born again by the power of the spirit of the living God. If you're in this room, I never take for granted that because you're in church that you're ready for heaven. Because going to church does not necessarily make us ready for heaven. Accepting Christ into our heart is the only thing that makes us ready for heaven. And my desire is that everyone present today will be ready to meet Jesus. So if you're in this place and you would be willing to accept the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf and say, Jesus I'm willing to surrender. I give up my sins. I give up living for myself to serve you. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand right where you're seated this morning? I would love to pray for you and see you welcomed into the kingdom of God today.